do you want your dream to be featured on our podcast? Do you have a recurring dream that drives you wild? A sex dream that leaves you feeling dirty? A nightmare that makes you feel guilty? Head over to www.wildestdreamspodcast.com and click the submit tab. Once you're there, fill out our form and submit your dream as text. Prefer to send audio? You can always drop us a line at our email, submit at wildestdreamspodcast.com. Each week, we'll feature one dream that we will try our damnedest to decipher. It's listeners like you that keep our dream alive. Welcome to another episode of the Daniel White Show. Today we have a whole legend in here, man. It's the one and only Adam Norris, man. What's going on? Nothing much. Pretty stoked to be here. I'm well. I'm stoked to be here. I know. <laughs> in, the, in, in my home, this is a little bit of a, of a switch up. I'm in your studio, which is so. The house is beautiful. The whole entire house is amazing. Thanks, man. But this studio is so awesome to see where these amazing records have been. At least the newest one. The old one. So yeah. So the newest album was pretty much all but the drums were done in here. Here, but the and old then one. Everything else has done been done in this room. So right. Absolutely. Wraith and. Uh, Iki guy, all that stuff was done in here, dude. So. Heck yeah! And we met because um, uh, I was at the agents recording yep. with uh, schools. With Chris, and- yes, it was schools and uh, um, uh, Chris was there too, wasn't he? Vargas. Yeah, yeah. So it was Vargas and schools. Go. This is it's really weird how this happened. So we met because you were doing photos for our recording time at Legit Is. Yes, but the reason why that even happened was schools was a coworker of my brother-in-law at an insurance firm. And <laughs> wow. and so schools was just mentioning offhand to Brandon, my brother-in-law saying, Oh, I'm looking to, you know, start doing some new music soon. So my, my brother-in-law just mentions, Oh, Adam plays bass and he does production and studio stuff. You should definitely, should definitely hit him up. And they were like, okay, great. And then he didn't do anything about it for months. <laughs> And it wasn't until he started working on these little demos with a friend of his um, that he made a Facebook post. And then this is where it comes even more full circle. I actually had met and seen schools when his old band uh, Bombardier played a house show in Knoxville. Oh my God. Like four or five years prior when I was still living in Knoxville (laughs) and had no clue who he was. I just was like, your band was great. Good stuff. And we never talked again. But now... I saw his Facebook post because we added each other because of Brandon. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm bored. I'm happy to kind of mess around with some demos. And so he he sent me just some ideas. And I'm, I'm kind of a, I kind of get super focused, like kind of tunnel vision on music when I have an idea. So in that one night, he sent me all three songs. I wrote fleshed out bass parts and piano oh, ideas oh like within like six hours. And I was like, is this good enough? And he was like, oh. Yeah, this is a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah, we, we can make this work. And so immediately he just hit up Chris at Legit Biz yes. and said, I want to record this new band idea. And then he just had already been talking to Vargas because they've been friends and played together. Yep. So the three of us, we ended up uh, meeting up at Schools' house. We rehearsed the what would become the three, four songs on the album uh, twice. And that was the second time we'd ever, the two times we've ever even hung out were those two rehearsals. <laughs> and then he was like, all right, well, 
uh, we're going to go record tomorrow. And so then we just went to Legit Biz and we recorded the album in a day. Oh my God. I remember you telling me that actually when we were at the studio. We were mm-hmm. just like, it was weird. Y- yeah, y'all just rehearsed a couple of times. <laughs> y'all just we, came. I literally couldn't remember Vargas's name. Like, I, that's the level of, of personality <laughs> we had between the three. Like, everyone talks about bands in the studio, like, oh, we've been doing this for years. We're going to, we're going to, we, we've, we got this like great idea, this artistic, you know, value and all this. And we all three were just like, I don't know. We just like it. It just sounds cool. Let's just, let's just make it happen. And, neat if it's a full product that's cool if it's a song cool and it's it was neat how fast it jived and i mean chris is such a such a killer producer animal yeah he's he's even more like focused in on that kind of stuff so he knew exactly what he wanted in a healthy sense and just kind of was like okay we can do this fast and it's it is ridiculous so meeting you there it was so weird it's so weird like just these one like little conversations every like three or four years and then seven years later, it's like, oh, yeah, let's record some bass with Adam now because I'm friends with him. Yeah. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense, but it's ridiculous how That's well it worked out. So random. Side note, I went to Knoxville for the first time like uh, like a month ago. Yeah? Yeah. It was a very, it felt like Greensboro. It It is. And I mean, it's a college town. UT yeah. is a is a massive school. Big, yeah. I mean, big football school. So never even go close to downtown on game days. But <laughs> in terms of how it's like, I can see it is a lot like that. The especially, downtown area. Especially the strip in Knoxville versus like Battleground and like that part of Greensboro. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Very yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's kinda ear it's it's almost the reality that every major city is kind of <laughs> each other all the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, oh no, but back but, to yeah. you man, this freaking music thing man. Uh Lowfield blown away. I told i I will give you praises when he sent me the music <laughs> and I heard waves for the first time I literally was driving home and I it was like internal tears you know hearing that track it was it was a, it's a beautiful song man that's that's very nice of you Thank I was you, like man. holy crap and I guess you were in the middle of also doing this, this new project so um yeah you know so that's why we're here but before we get there I want to go back to where music even started like sure yeah yeah. yeah yeah so for me music started off as uh let's see hmm go back in time a little bit so i was fifth sixth grade yeah and i was told i need to find an extracurricular to decide on and um just i didn't really have much of an idea besides my brother played bass guitar and was really freaking good at it and i thought that was cool but i didn't really have the effort or didn't really want to do that so my mom just gave me her clarinet <laughs> and and, and my, so exactly what a middle schooler does, which is just make terrible squeaking sounds. Um, but it started off clarinet in middle school, had an amazing band director. Um, his name was Mr. Castro. And he was super down to earth. Like, honestly, I'd probably grab a beer with him now. He's such a cool guy if I, if I could see him again. But he he kind of introduced, you know, some out there music to me. Like he introduced me to a band called like the Moody Blues, which is a crazy kind of jazz fusion group. That's amazing. Um, But even then for me, music was just kind of, I wouldn't call it a chore per se. It just felt like something I just had to do because of school. Yeah. I wasn't really like, I listened to bands. I was enjoying music, but it wasn't really a passion at all. Mm -hmm. And that really changed when my brother had bought this like really crappy like twenty dollar P bass from a yard sale and was like, <laughs> I have no use for this. Adam, just here you go, is here's a guitar for you. And even then, like I like I want to say that I had this like 
crystallizing like glass shatter. This is the best instrument ever. But instead I was like, cool. And I threw it in the closet and didn't touch it for like six more months. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do anything with it until I was about to finish middle school. And I I had gone to all district and I had gotten some awards. And so Mr. Cashert was like, Adam, I got to be honest with you. Like, are you planning on continuing this in high school? I think you could make this a career if you really want to. You're pretty good. And I was like, ah, not really. And then he gave me the best advice ever. He was like, then pack up this instrument and go play something that matters to you because you're wasting your time. Oh my God. And I said, okay. And literally that day I, I packed, I actually, the clarinet is in this closet. I'll show it to you. You still have it? I still have the clarinet. Yes. Uh, Yeah. It's awesome. It's got my mom's all district from 84 stickers still on it. Holy Um, shit. But I packed it up and I literally have only taken it out like three times since then. So like in the last 20 years I've taken it like two times out, but that's it. I literally went home and I started listening to, at the time, Switchfoot, and I realized that Tim Foreman, their bass player, is a god, and I will stand by that to the day I die. Fair. He is so good. Yes. And I was like, okay, I want to do this, for real. And so I just, I played, and I wasn't great, and then I just have been playing bass for churches and volunteering and playing with friends ever since. And it really wasn't until college that... Um, I kind of got dabbled into recording and it wasn't until 20, I guess that would have been 2012. Yeah. About 2012. When I realized like, Oh, I really like piano. I like these other instruments and I kind of want to challenge myself more. Like I was getting pretty solid at bass. I would say this far into my bass playing journey, I can say I'm a little above average by comparison. Uh, I think yes. I'm, I think I'm pretty good, but come not on, like, Adam. no, I am, I'm no, you come on. I think too many people over, over qualify themselves. Um, you need to, well, you're, you're, you're very good. Sure. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> um, I, I really like the idea of, you know, it's weird because so many people kind of, when they want to make music and they want to create something, it's usually from a place of, like a healthy admiration and like you kind of want to recreate something that you discovered in love. So like a lot of people like inspirations, right? So Mm -hmm. people make music because that sounds like something because it's something else that they loved. So, um, but for me it was weird. It was like almost kind of a vacuum out of a vacuum. I, I made stuff. I just was like, what can I create or what can I make just because with what limited skill set I have, what what can I just make up? And I'm sure if I did enough cross-examination, I could find inspirations or things I may have in it, in unintentionally pulled from or, I mean, straight up ripped off because that's just a reality. That's how music, that's how music happens. Yeah. But it was weird. So really it wasn't until college when I started really dabbling into that kind of stuff. And I'd never even been in a band. I hadn't even really? done... I, I, like, my first band ever was... Um, I, we talked about Wesley. He's a good friend. Mm-hmm. Did vocals for some stuff and some art. He is a super big metalhead, loves hardcore, post-hardcore, noise, all that good stuff. And he really wanted to start a band that was focused on instrumental music that kind of went away from that. You know, it it dabbled in some heavier sounds, but he was like, you know, I got another guitar player and a drummer that you should meet and we'll just hang out and just jam. And that would become a, a band called Ephemeral. Which Ephemeral was the first band I'd ever really been in, like a first real band in the sense of four guys with the goal of making music. And that was, it was so interesting because similar situation, like we had ideas and inspirations then of what we wanted to sound like, but really no clear objective or way to go about that. Like songwriting really wasn't like 
I'll put it this way. So, Ephemeral was made up of a singer-songwriter who loved Noah Gunderson. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. A drummer that loved kind of indie, post-hardcore, like, Law Dispute was his... This is a jam? This is a jam. Okay. So, big poet, loves poetry, spoken word. Then we have Wesley, who's big metalhead. And then, whatever the hell I am. So, I'm like (laughs) some weird, like, Venn diagram of, like, 80 different things. (laughs) Yeah. And so... We, we could never really settle on a sound because none of us really had, you know, I feel like there's some, usually some person in the band that's like, we're going to sound like this and how are we going to do it? But that was kind of the beauty of it was we just kind of didn't care. We just kind of dicked around and liked some ideas. And that was my first and so far besides Lowfield, my only real band band experience I ever had. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was weird because I feel like maybe it, let's see, I was... I'm going to do some quick math. I'm 27 now. When the ephemeral was around, I would have been 2017. So it would have been four or five years. So 22, you know, 22, 23. I feel like most people at 22, 23 would have had, you know, a a ton of different bands or experiences. But for me, it was weird. Like, once again, a lot of my music experience came out of this vacuum of just, I want to do something and I'm going to do it now. With like, no warning, no prep, no... Right now. So let's just figure it out. And so that was really fun. And Ephemeral really only ended in my mind because I moved to North Carolina and they just kind of decided to not find another bass player. Oh, really? So are you still currently a thing? No. Um, No, no, no. So when you left, they didn't find anyone else and that was kind of it? That was pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, I'm still on, you know, good terms. They're all awesome dudes and we catch up every now and again, but that part of things ended. And for me, music then turned into just kind of a, just kind of a stress reliever, just a creative exercise, just a thing to kind of just feel all right. Like, you know, it's how some people treat drinking is probably how I would treat music making. (laughs) (laughs) Oh uh, my god! I'm yes. very I'm very bland in that sense because I uh, I don't really do much uh, partying or a lot of you, you can probably tell I'm kind of a slice of bread person in that sense. But you uh, freaking taking all that water, going crazy. Yes, that's right. All that water, <laughs> all that extra Mountain Dew, getting all jacked up. Holy crap! What brought you to Greensboro? Oh wait, what, what, what? no. <laughs> I, I mean, technically, yeah. I, mean, that too. I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah. What brought you to North Carolina? Yeah. So North Carolina was. It's weird. I keep saying it's out of a vacuum, and it really is sometimes just out of nowhere. Um, we have had family in North Carolina. Kayla's family, my wife, Kayla, her family lives in Winston. Um, my brother lives 10 minutes up the road here in Winston. Mm-hmm. And so we had a desire to move back and be near family for a long time. But then Kayla's uh, mom, who runs a great real estate kind of little group out of Winston, said, well, we need you know, someone to help manage and we need someone with a business management degree to kind of help run stuff. And my wife has that exact degree. So she was like, I'll pay you whatever your job's paying and a little more if you just move here. And so we no said, way, we said yeah. okay. So we just, yeah, I mean, call it faith or whatever you want, but I had no plan. I had no jobs lined up or anything. So yeah. we just said, well, we'll get an apartment. We'll figure it out. And we just moved to Winston for the job of being near family. And Within, so we moved March 30th or 31st. It was like Easter weekend. And that first Monday, like three days later, I went to Jackson's Music on Stratford here in Winston <laughs> yes. just to buy a cable. Like my cable had gone bad. And the owner, Beth, was Beth Rippy. She was there. And we just started talking. She's like, What are you up to? And I was like, Well, 
gonna go do some job applications. <laughs> um, just picking up some gear. And she goes, well, did you see the sign outside the door? And I went, no. <laughs> she goes, she's like, well, we're hiring. And I went, oh, well, sure, yeah. She's like, well, tell me a little bit more if you're interested about kind of your experience. So I just told her kind of a even more bridge version of what we're doing right now. And she said, that's really cool. Well, you can apply. And then by the time I got halfway through the little pamphlet she handed me, she just took it from me and said, do you want to work here? And I said, yes. Okay, sure. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do it. And so I I was like, when do you want me to start? And she said, well, there's t-shirts downstairs. (laughs) And I was like, uh, I'm going to go home and like change. And I guess I'll come back. She goes, sounds good. And so I just went home while my wife was on her lunch break, and I said, "Hey, just want to say hey, and I, I got a job, and I'll be home. Yeah, I'll be home <laughs> later." She's like, "She's like, wait, hold on, hold on, what?" And so it just—it is a lot of it was a lot of the move to Winston. Like most things, feel so—I don't know what word to use other than just—it's just beyond coincidence. It's just weird. It's just so such a weird interconnectedness experience of just moving here and then meeting people and then within a few weeks I was introduced to different musicians and I went to a show at what was called Old Ziggy's but now it's the yeah, Ramcat, Ramcat. Yeah. and I saw um, uh, Shiloh Hill and nice. I saw Foxter yeah. and I saw Companion which now, yeah right so, I know about so Brian, Brian and Companion all those guys are good great friends now you know Grant I know oh Grant's yeah I know yeah although I, if you listen to this Grant by any chance you listen to this you're, you're uh, not of this world. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's a very low possibility considering how much of a not social person he is. But, <laughs> but yeah, Grant is arguably from a literal other universe of musicianship and talent. And yeah, <laughs> if you're wondering how Companion sounds so good most of the time, it's up to Grant. So um, he's awesome. But it was so funny because that's when I went to that show, I bumped into and met uh, Nikki okay. for the first time. I met Tim. Austin, Austin? and like we we started talking I was like wow this is like and that was within my first couple weeks of living here I went to that show and I was like okay so it's clear there's like talent here and super nice people maybe I can you know maybe look at networking and just see where that goes but then from there in like in theory it sounds like I'm leading up to saying I just formed this band of a bunch of people but instead I kind of did the opposite (laughs) And I decided to really then kind of push my limits just as a creative exercise. I've always wanted to create an album. I always wanted to see what that would be like, mm. how long it would take. And so that was what became of High Wraith. And I wrote High Wraith as more of a, if I'm going to grossly oversimplify it, it was like a game of musical telephone where I wrote all these demos of these different genre ideas. And, forth, yeah. and then I just sent it to a bunch of different vocalists and musicians that would be able to just kind of email me back their takes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun. And that was how, you know, uh, because of Companion and their friendship with Zach Hutchinson, Zach is kind of our uh, unspoken guitarist member of the band. He kind of helps pull off guitar stuff live, and he's written guitars for different songs on... Especially the new album. Half the new album is Zach is you can you know when it's not me playing guitar. It's one hundred percent. It is one hundred percent Zach playing guitar. Shout out to Zach. Yeah, Zach's great. And so um, music now is just kind of uh, it started off as like an outlet, and now what became of low field is kind of a desire to. I mean, I'm trying to think of a short way to put it, but even the name of the band Lowfield, it kind of, it came from an idea of just having a dream of standing in an open field 
and just realizing like the potential of that experience. Yeah, which is super pretentious, honestly. When I think about it, but I just, love that's, just, that. that's just how I thought about it. Was like you could burn this field down, you could build a home, you could create a society, you can do whatever you want in this open field. You have complete creative freedom. Now, what are you going to do with it? Mm. And then I loved the idea of lo-fi as not just you know the beats and things to study to culture. That stuff is awesome. But I like the idea of low fidelity or lo-fi representing kind of my my workflow and how I create stuff to not be bogged down by a desire for it to be perfect or perfectly created or executed. Just get it out on paper. Get it out and then just be happy with it. Because if you didn't, it wouldn't exist probably to begin with. Absolutely. So combining those two things is what became low field and why I changed my name from Adam Norris because it's just my name and I never really have that level of pride okay. and yeah. I don't want to present myself as this like powerhouse influencer figure. Like I'm not that person. So yeah. why would yeah. I continue making music under that name when low field is a way simpler and honestly just better sounding way to kind of describe that for people. I always wonder where that name came from. That makes yeah. perfect sense. That matches the it matches the music, honestly, which is freaking awesome. Yeah, and then music is now was originally I I liked playing music with bands with vocalists and like I play bass for a band called The Genuine here in Winston. That's amazing, killer oh. Americana indie band. Wait, yeah. yeah, did I know that? Yeah, you knew that. I think I didn't know that cause because I've... that was another example of social media and stuff being freaky because we actually started off. Um, we, I was on Instagram and I was just enjoying, you know, their music. And then I noticed that they didn't have a bass player and I went, that's kind of wild. I can't imagine not having a bass player because their album had a bass clearly and it sounded amazing. So I just posted in this the studio we're in right now. I just did a little iPhone selfie video of me playing along to a couple of their songs and being like, this band's so good. And I knew them pretty personally, like we had hung out, but then their drummer, Devin, um, Dev Forknell, he immediately replied and said, when can you hang out? And I was just like, whatever. And he was like, we have a show. You want to play? And I was like, yeah, sure. So that's just kind of now I'm like, I won't say I'm a member of the band in so much as I'm just a good friend that plays bass for them now. Dude, so that's, that's awesome. been really fun. That's But as much as I love that stuff, now music for me personally and how I create it, um, I'm really digging into not just post-rock the genre, but the idea of creating music as a form of either, you know, meditation, mm -hmm. um, a, a breather, a, a place to focus, whatever you want to call it, but creating music with the intention of creating those spaces for people. Oh, I love that. You know, I think instrumental music and, you know, has kind of two speeds. It's either, I mean, this is a nice way of putting it, but just wallpaper sound that you can play in a random coffee shop and you're just not, you don't hear it. I love it's that. just, it's just static. Or the other side is like, maximalist ridiculous almost like to perfection over the top there's like you know this like very intense like we're gonna change the world and like that kind of <laughs> yes. you know what i'm talking about that kind of yeah and i don't like that into the spectrum either i think that's way over, over the top, top. so yeah. lowfield's goal is just to kind of get that hit that sweet spot yeah of just you can listen to the music and know that hey wow there's some cool stuff going on and like you can listen for it and appreciate the talent yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that that goes into writing the music, or as I've heard, I've had friends sheepishly, you know, confess this to me, but they're like, "Yeah, man, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I've like straight up fallen asleep to your music." 
And, but I take that as a total it's not compliment. A bad thing. I think that's I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think the goal of my music is not to create this typical audience of like. I, my goal for a live show is not to have thousands of raving fans losing their minds. <laughs> I would take. 50 people quietly enjoying it and just having a good time. Mm. That is my version of success. Yes. You know, and that's why I'm, so now you ask what music is for me now, it's just creating as much of that as I can. Absolutely. As prolific as that's going to be, I have no clue. Um, Don't ask me about future album plans because I don't have any. I'm just, (laughs) no, that was my last question. (laughs) I know. know. But but no, I mean, we're working on, on new stuff, but that's kind of where we're at now is low field is me. And Joey Colvin, he's an amazing percussionist and drummer and everything else. And our goal is just to write as much stuff that creates that space as I love much as that. we can. So. so with the first record, there are vocals, though. So mm-hmm. how do you decide what gets vocals and what doesn't? Great question. So High Wraith was, again, that was more of a telephone game of just, you know, I because the genres which if you the listener if you go listen to high wraith go ahead i'm going to mentally prepare you it makes no sense um, <laughs> i love it <laughs> every song with it pretty much just if you don't like the song you're listening to just hit next and you might find one eventually because we cover just about everything in terms of genres but um so that was kind of how that album worked out and then Iki guy which was kind of a concept ep which was like you know, other end of the spectrum was how cohesive, how, um, how tied together. Like the whole album is technically one key. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's little, di- little variations, but you know, that was like super conceptual. Everything was planned to the T. And when I decided vocals, really, I only wanted the use of, um, oh, I'm going to forget his name now. He's a great philosopher and kind of just, um, public speaker. Alan Watts. Alan Watts. Yes. Alan Watts had some really, really cool speeches I sampled and kind of, I jokingly in my head was using this kind of like a, like a, like a smoky poetry room, you know, you're like listening to him in the background talking. I like that idea. So I wanted to put his words on display and let the music again, create that space to really appreciate it and really think about what he's saying. Um, so he is on the first, the middle, and the last track. Mm, so he's just yes. kind of this bookend and kind of he's the focus. Like, if anything, I wrote the music almost as a soundtrack to his talks, which a lot of his talks are very existential and on purpose of life and death and very over the, very intense subjects. So, you know, take that at your own risk. Um, and then the new album, which is As Long As We're Dreaming, mm. um, which that's... Um, I'm very, very happy with how this whole I thing has turned you out. Are, brother. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Beautiful. It's been a lot of work. Um, I decided on vocals primarily similar to how Iki Guy worked, but I decided I was like, you know what? Joey has been kind of hounding me. He's heard me sing before, and he's like, you should find a way to add this in just a little bit, just to create, like, you know, I think the way Joey described it was you, if you're going to use vocals, you should use them kind of like as exclamation points of like, pay attention here. This is very important. And so what are you going to do with that and how are you going to use it? And so we decided that on the intro, um, which is called sleep, sleep, sleep. Mm -hmm. um, That song is meant to kind of set the mood as an intro for literally it's another concept album. We can talk about that forever, but it's the opening song is a way of literally falling asleep. It's the idea of just drifting off after a long day and like even the samples in the song 
Um, at the ending, it keeps descending. Like the, I keep having it pitch shifted a half step down over, mm-hmm. as if you're falling asleep and it's getting quieter. Um, and so the vocal idea was just, can I create kind of this like almost cerebral kind of in the background vocal idea? And I, I, I had kind of floated like, oh, we'll go to other people to make it happen. But then I realized like, I can just do it. Do yourself. I can yeah. do it. So because I, I have the wonderful invention of reverb, I can, I can hide myself in the background as much as I want. <laughs> um, so we did that. And then really right before we went to record drums at legit biz because of such a fun experience we had with agents and schools and all them, we wanted to record drums at legit biz. We were rehearsing and kind of going over the final you know, takes the song since we we're going to try to do the drums in a day, which is a little stressful. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. Which, which, spoiler alert, Joey crushed and we did it. He did song. all of them, all the songs in a day. He all the drums in a day. We started at Sheesh. 10 and we finished at 6. It was crazy. That's actually kind of fast. He put a work He put a work day in. That's for that's for damn sure. Damn, he, he had to be hurting. Yeah he, yeah, he put in a ton of effort. And so, as long as we're dreaming the song, like, the, we weren't originally planning on having a title track. We weren't even, that wasn't even an idea. The night before we went to record, I wrote As Long As We're Dreaming, the song. Yeah, yeah. So when we added vocals, it was after the fact. So we wrote the instrumental. We wrote it as this kind of two-minute kind of like bop, like just a fun song that's just kind of like, it's a nice breakup and it's not as uh, long or arduous of a listen. It's just really nice ear candy. And after the fact... Joey had the conversation of how are we going to create, you know, more meaning and for a listener to kind of understand what we had in mind for the music. I just thought, well, I mean, I guess I can write vocals. And so I had this idea of, you know, the whole album is the idea of being lost in dreams and kind of using a dream space as a way to process everything from trauma to memories to um, love to, I mean, so many things, you know, dreams can, can be used to process that, whether we're aware of it or not. Exactly. So the vocals I wrote for that were kind of a, I wrote those just kind of in a night, just late at night. I had this idea of like, man, I kind of went to the, to the darker side of the reality of of dreaming. And I said, you know, what if I didn't wake up? Mm. You know, there's a part of me that, you know, most people never would admit to, which is not wanting to leave a dream, you know, wanting to stay in that forever, which there's ad nauseum, you know, movies, books, whatever that can explain that or let you experience it. But I wanted to, to specifically use my voice to bring focus to that idea of realizing like, as long as we're dreaming, we can, we can experience these things. But by the end of the song, you know, and by the second half of the album, you have to come to grips with reality. Yeah. You have to wake up. And wow. so I, I realized, well, you know what? A baseline can't really explain that. <laughs> Fair enough. So that was really, I, I treat vocals right now as a utility. It's just another tool belt option of how can I explain this to the listener? Because I'm not approaching songs with the typical idea of a verse chorus and you know, how can I do this? So vocals is kind of the only option. So I only did that because I felt like it was required. Wow. If that makes sense. That's insane. Yeah. I'm, I'm you saying that I'm wondering how are you able to the process of writing this music to the concept? Mm-hmm. What's the inspiration coming from, from that? Like these different sounds, like how is it, making a whole entire collective project. Yeah. So as long as we're dreaming started off originally as kind of a three or four song, like concept thing. 
and it was going to be like these like long six seven minute songs and have this whole thing planned out i'm a very cerebral person like Mm. um, i don't know many musicians that start off the album process on a notepad and like literally write down (laughs) song one will sound like this yeah and then they do it like i know most people just kind of feel it and they just do do it it, which all power to them i think that's awesome but i i have to think about it first and really like put myself in the headspace that i want to be in to write and make that music so obviously that you know you hear the final product that was completely scrapped and so instead i kind of went back to how i felt with high wraith which was make music for music's sake and then we'll kind of find a way to make it work in the end yes if that makes sense makes so Sleep, Sleep, Sleep was written because I just found a cool sample. I got a free sample pack from a band called King's Kaleidoscope, which is this, like, um, you know, kind of gospel group, gospel uh, chamber. Like, they're weird. I mean, they're such a cool group. Interesting. But they they have, they gave a free sample pack out, and then I just wrote this beat and song idea off that, and then we just held on to that. Most of the other songs were... You know, I similar to the idea of it being a concept album, I kind of approached each song from a different emotional headspace you'll reach during a dream. So some examples of that would be Just Stay is the second song off the album and is the idea of of kind of a lucid dreamer realizing they're dreaming and that sense of elation and kind of like warmth that comes with like, oh, I have complete freedom. Mm-hmm. I can do anything I want now. But then... By the second half of the song, it kind of it lends itself to that idea of, oh, I can, but I'm still stuck here. Yeah. You know, right? you have total freedom in a certain sense, but you don't have it in the fullest idea. And so it kind of it kind of becomes bittersweet. And so by the second half, the strings and kind of that build yes. speak to that idea. of. Uh, so um, another example, let's see. I mean, maybe I'll make it. Um, that song was born out of originally just one of the first songs I ever wrote living in Knoxville. But then I realized I really wanted to kind of re approach it and redo it and just really finish it for what it is. And Joey added some great guitar parts to kind of wrap it up. But that song became kind of a, even the song title, which most titles I just come up with as I'm uploading them. (laughs) (laughs) So very last minute. I, I wish I had a better song title idea, but but like maybe I'll make it sounds. I mean, it's it was literally written as a song of if you're in a dream state where you feel almost not I want to say hopelessness, but there's just no sense of like a future. But you realize like maybe I can make it. Like I'm just Ooh, gonna I get like up that. tomorrow, you know. And so the idea of that song, kind of the first half being just kind of the state of just liminality and just kind of you know, the betweens, like the being between things. And then the second half being this kind of like wake up kind of realization, like, no, I will make it. And, you know, that kind of sense of being sure of what you're going to do, or, you know, you're more determined in what you want. And so, uh, and so over the course of the album, it's like, imagine this one dreamer is in all the songs and he's experiencing these different emotional states as he's going through the songs. So it kind of culminates with Farewell, which is, of course, the final song. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to make that uh, the sense of the end of the dream, and you're aware of that, and kind of come into grips with, like I said, you know, coming to grips with reality on your own terms um, and deciding, I know this is going to end. I will not shy away from it. 
I'm going to accept it for what it is and I will become a better person because of it. And so I want to create that sense of bittersweet, like, you know, like, yes, I will do this. And so that's, I mean, that's a shortened way of explaining like every song does have a purpose. It's just sometimes if you don't use vocals, it's not nearly as obvious. But oh there is always intention. There's every, I mean, if, if the listener doesn't get anything else from what I've been saying the whole time, all of Lowfield is intentional. There is nothing about it that is like purposely obtuse or like, if you hear something that sounds kind of weird, it's supposed to be there. It's supposed to be there. Right. Like case in point, I, if you listen to You Seem Lonely, which has an amazing guitar solo from Warren Sharp from Echo Nest, the first half, there is the world's wackiest sounding guitar tone you'll ever hear. That was on purpose. That's on purpose. I wanted to create an over-the-top sound, but it's, once again, I can't be there in front of the listener going, no, if you see here, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not their tour guide. I can't, I can't literally, you know, commentate the whole record, but just know that everything is planned to the T. Like, the songs cannot be in a different order. The record did not, could not have gone any other way. This is how it's supposed to go. Oh, my God, dude. So, that's amazing. And um, from Echo Nest, what's his name again? Warren Sharp. Warren. And um, how were, and I know he was featured, and obviously mm-hmm. this is, you were the same people in other songs, right? Was, it, yeah. was that the only really feature? So Warren and Nikki. So, Nikki. So Nikki, yes, of course. So yeah. Nikki Forrester, he plays, I think, bass for the son, for um, Shiloh Hill. Yes. The band I saw. Yes. But then we really didn't connect for real until Lowfield and his new band, so Nikki has his own alt pop kind of project called the Sun God, mm-hmm. and we played a show at a place called the Flatiron in Greensboro. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. And we just we were we connected quickly. We're all kind of same age group, same interests and musical influences. So we became friends really fast. And so I w- I had been throwing around the idea of this like we wrote this like super melodramatic song. This like I was inspired by the soundtrack of um, some of the darker parts of Undertale. Um, which is, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. any, any video gamer PC people are probably like, yes, finally. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a great soundtrack and I wanted to write this kind of dramatic, like protagonist is about to face the dragon at the end of the quest kind of thing. But I had no clue how to do vocals for that. I had no idea. And I realized, oh, I got this guy who jokingly calls himself the, uh, great value Adam Levine. Hell yeah, let's go. Uh, and I was like, this is perfect. We'll make this work. And so I just sent him the demo and he just crushed it. I mean, he just, Dude. I mean, he was like, this is like my first take. I mean, Lowfield is always marked by just really perfectly timed collaborations but that are just like too, they're too great that have worked out way too quickly. But he, we kind of collaborated and he sent me some ideas and I said, this is it. And I try my best to let them kind of run with it. I'm not really much of a hands-on person in that sense. So that, those are the two only real features. Right. And then, and then my good friend Gabe, who did saxophone on Copacetic from the first album, mm-hmm. I Wraith, came back and did saxophone um, for, um, well, I'm going to forget my own songs. It was a song There's so called... Many, so weird. Hold on. Here we you go. you don't name them until you upload them. Not all of them, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying... Every, not every song is just ad-libbed, all right? I'm saying just some of them are. Do not take me out of context. That's hilarious. No, no I mean, I'd say like, okay, like cards on the table, like 40% of the song names are usually made up as I'm uploading them. Um, but it's Ever Again. Ever Again, okay. okay. So those are the only real collaborations. And outside of that, everything else was just me, Joey, and Zach. 
Just hanging, doing just, just hanging out, and which that part was fun. Uh, the other thing that made kind of the creation of that album super fun was the um, <laughs> was we we jokingly called it Camp Lowfield, where we found a camp spot that would let us rent out like a small gym um, with like a pool next door and stuff for super cheap. What? And so we actually did a writers retreat. So the three of us packed up all the gear we needed for recording and writing, and we went up and spent a weekend at a camp. And just you know, wrote music, and we and that's what. So that camp experience led to the creation of, um, let's see, the first half of You Seem Lonely, um, the ending of um, Ever Again, and also all of Hush and all of Farewell. Oh my! All gosh. those songs, all those songs were pretty much written in the span of two and a half days. Really? Yeah, we just. I mean, we had like a little mixer to record in, and we. We demoed the songs. Each each one realistically took about two to three hours. It's like in farewell, that was a complete throwaway. We had no intention of writing that song. It was literally just the last day of being in the camp and Zach. We were sitting around kind of like not burnt out, but we were just tired and kind of like, I think we're good. But then he said, Well, I got this one vo- like demo I wrote on my iPhone, and he had this amazing guitar line he had written. I went, Oh yeah. We're going to have to make that work. Oh, yeah. And so within like two hours, we jammed it and kind of planned out the progression and said, okay, that's it. So the guitar you hear on the final product for the album was actually there. Like we didn't even reamp or re-record his guitar parts. Oh, really? So it was just from that camp? Farewell's guitar and bass parts were done at that camp. We're not (sighs) like I did it through a $100 DI and that's it. No amps, no mics, just... Just straight through. Into my MacBook. And we brought it back and... I had full intentions of re-recording it, but just the more I listened to it and started like really getting into the final product, I went, this is it. I mean, if, if my goal is as low fidelity as it is, if my goal is just to, you know, create the idea and be happy with it, well, yeah, I've done that. So it's days. Dude. Yeah. That's amazing. I love hearing when bands and even seeing in documentary stuff, like go out into a different space. It always, dude, it always works. That's what I keep hearing. It's the best. Dude, that is phenomenal. It just gets dude. out of your head, man. I mean, and as much as and I think people think may think they need to go that far, like we drove a few hours away out of town. Yeah. I mean, hell, man, you can just go to someone else's house. I mean, you can just go to a different building. Yeah. You'd be surprised just the act of just opening everything up and setting it up, even if it's the same gear you've been using for years, you will, I can't guarantee it, but I'm pretty damn sure that you will at least find some form of inspiration. To, to do something with it different than you would have in the original space. So that's, and that's yeah, hundred percent. Like I, yeah, like I, you know, I'm a big Sir Survive fan. I know oh, they, yeah. they're a band that does that almost part for, for most of their albums. They're just like, no, let's, so, go, let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go to the woods. Let's go to, you know, I forgot what band I, I saw recently. I heard about recently. I went to like Iceland or some shit. You know what I'm saying? It's random shit. Oh yeah. Oh, so you know? it's funny you mentioned Iceland, uh, an artist that I'm super inspired by. His name's Crywolf. Okay. Um, he actually, uh, part of the inspiration for As Long As We're Dreaming came from his idea of he went to Reykjavik and lived in a yep. Airbnb in Iceland for a month and pretty much wrote all of what would become an album he put out called Cataclysm, Dude. which is another listener re- uh, recommendation. Cataclysm by Crywolf is one of the coolest EDM albums you'll ever listen to because it's not. It's not what you think. And it's EDM. Well, it's not. It okay. is. It is, and it isn't. So that album is a combination of literally singer songwriter, 
with EDM. It's a very, very strange combination where there, there aren't any drops per se, not like, cause EDM is marked by kind of the big build, the drop, and then the kind of just the cycle of that. And he uses that stuff cause that's where he came from. I mean, he was an electronic producer in LA and. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But he has an incredibly rich voice, great guitarist, great sensibility of how he writes just songs on his own. Mm-hmm. And so he really kind of married those two with this album and it's, Fantastic. When we finish this, I'm going to play a little bit of it. Please. It's, it's really, 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 really good. I want to hear you. You're talking it up. I got to hear it. You should. Yeah, dude. So when, sure. you, when you roll out this project, you wanted, because back when we took photos, promos and stuff, you said you're going to do it like one song a month. And you did it that way, didn't you? I did. That was honestly the best idea. I've, yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to say I've ever had, because it wasn't my idea per se. Um, but I noticed a really great band from technically the UK, but also they have members in America they're called Good Tiger. Okay. Um, they, during quarantine, released their newest album, um, Raised in a Doomsday Cult, which that album is awesome. Um, they raised, they released each song in sequential order from 1 to 11 um, every Friday. So every week they had a new album, a new oh, song come out. Oh, yeah. And from top to bottom. So you, there was no surprises. It wasn't like, oh, here's a surprise song or nope. It's just, all right, it's Friday. Here's song number three. And I noticed that their interaction over it and like they all kept saying kind of it seems like music is going this way is kind of a constant barrage of stuff. Like dropping an album for attentive fans, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if you're a newer band or you don't have as much of a developed audience, why bother? Because I mean... Not to diss the average listener, which I won't blame them. They might listen to three or four songs of a 10-song project if That's you're it. lucky. Yep. If you're lucky. If they mm-hmm. think you're pretty good, they might listen to half of it. Yep. You know? So why would you bother doing it that way? So and so he, so that's more of me verbalizing their thoughts. And I went, whoa. Yeah. I want 100% want to do that. So instead of doing it week to week, um, I wanted to kind of have a little more time to let it kind of marinate, so to speak. And so we did top to bottom songs one through 10 as sequences um, every two weeks, starting in February. Every two weeks. Gotcha. Okay. So starting February, which it's crazy now, it's June 21st. 21st, yeah. So three days since the release of the album, which is a weird thing to say because technically the release of the album was just the release day of the final song. Right. So the album has technically been out since February. Like we've been putting out music. But it's been really cool because there's been interaction and and a higher listenership for each song. And there are people reaching out and saying things like kind of confirming my fears or suspicions, which they say, I would have never listened to this song if it wasn't for if it wasn't the way you did it. Love that. So it's true. I mean, I can't say it's guaranteed. Anything's a guarantee in life, but it certainly worked. Most people like if I go and look at my, you know, listener algorithms on social media and I see what people listen to. I loved Ikigai. That EPP, that EP means a ton to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the song, the overlook, the closer, which is albeit a very quiet, chill song has like 1% yeah. of streams ever. And yeah. that's kind of sad. Cause like I put an effort in that song. People right. should hear it. And so, but versus now the new album, farewell, that's the closer. It's like, Literally, if you could imagine a bar graph, they're all even. Yeah. Like, it is clear that the, the people who listen to it have either listened the whole way through because they were going to anyway, or they've listened through all the singles. 
Which is just as good. Fine. Which yeah. is just as great. I don't care how you listen to it. I just would like it if you heard the whole thing because right. it all it's all important. So that's been a really, really fun part of the release process was seeing the change and moving forward. I mean, as much as, you know, we have ideas for maybe albums or EPs in the future, I really liked the freedom and kind of the realization of most people are going to appreciate and just kind of be around for any song in and of itself. And I think Companion, we talked about them, Mm. they've been a great example of that. I mean, they've put out like technically an album and a half's worth of material in the last two years. Yeah. But they're doing it as singles and people seem to really enjoy it. And they get to really hone in and focus on, you know, look at this one song and they just squeeze out as much as they can. But in a healthy way, they're not like, you know, bleeding it dry by any means because it's still around. It's still relevant. It's still their music. But I think there's a lot more freedom of that and kind of how the music industry is more than likely going to change. In yeah. the future, I mean, and I feel like that's not new. I think you, I mean, most people have probably heard, yeah, you know, not. dropping singles. Which I say that, but last year during quarantine was like the year of the double LP. It's like Joji oh, yes. dropped twenty-two songs. Ooh, Taylor Joji. Swift dropped an album. She, she like did. twenty songs. I mean, it's like it was weird. I say that, but then a lot people, of these standard artists are putting out double LP length. So. Take that with a grain of salt. I mean, if you're at that level, that you can do whatever you want and you're going to make a million dollars. But just consider, like, for any musician or artist or creative that's listening, just know that you have complete freedom over every aspect of what you make. Yeah. Not just the creation of it, but you have complete freedom of how you present it to the world. Ooh. And you should really be sure, because this is a lesson I'm learning as I'm getting older, is creating something is its own thing, but the the release of it and presenting it to the world, you should be putting in as much, if not potentially, maybe even a little more effort. Right. Because people can be your best friends in the world, but if if you don't if they don't know what they're listening to or why they're listening to it, they're not gonna care. Right. Just bottom line. Right. They're they're not they'll, they'll care for you as a person. They're not gonna care about what you make. So you need to be able to, and I'm at a complete disadvantage. <laughs> I'm, I I have almost no words for anyone to listen to my That's music. That also makes it harder too. Exactly. So, you know, I I mean I so take it that with a grain of salt and know that you know hearing that from an instrumentalist producer in the middle of nowhere Winston Salem, you know even I am trying to at least put in more effort and realize that listeners don't just listen. They're not you. They're not the person making it. They're mm-hmm. not going to sit here and go. Hmm, this snare mix is twice. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you're in the industry, yeah. How, how many people li- I mean, if you if that's who you're making it for, all power to you. But yeah. if you're if you have a desire for more people to appreciate and listen and enjoy your music, just be just realize you're gonna have to put in more effort in the back half mm-hmm. and how you're gonna create that presentation for people. And that has made for the first two albums, almost no listenership. I'm not embarrassed to admit that. Almost no one listened to the first couple albums. By comparison, this is like rock star status. Yeah. And again, a few thousand streams under my belt, but that's entirely independent grassroots. There's no algorithmic anything helping me. It's just doing what I can with little bits of you know help as I can from friends and people that care about the music. Yeah, that's so you it. can do it. Any anyone, this is the door is wide open. You just have to put in effort, not just in creation, but in how you're going to present it to people. Absolutely, I think a lot of people go into the music thing wanting the instant gratification. When, like you said before, oh. it's just like you're not 
that's not really guaranteed. No, it's ever. not. You shouldn't. If it was, if it was kind of possible, ten, fifteen years ago, you know, think of a band like, um, oh man, uh, oh man. Uh, I know they're they have an album called Brothers in El Camino. Who, who am I thinking of? Oh, um, oh. Dan Auerbach. I'm remembering the musicians in the band, um, the big come up. How am I able to remember all of their albums? Oh, the the uh, Black Keys. Okay, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. The Brothers, Black Keys. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifteen years ish ago, they put out the big come up, and with with a small label, they released and sold maybe a thousand copies, mm-hmm. and then Rolling Stone published an album about it, and then now they're where they're at now. Fifteen years ago, that can happen, you mm-hmm. know. But the chances of that, because of the vast, like, digital world we live in, so much music. It's oh. like it's a it's a wave, and that's awesome. Yeah. But know that with now that the the doors are wide open, you're just, you know, if you're looking for instant gratification, do anything else. Get out of the arts. Yeah, get, get out of the arts. Period. <laughs> at this point, if you're planning on someone to message you and be like, "Your song saved my life." I have some some very rough news for you, buddy. You're not going to get those messages almost ever anymore. So, dude, you oh. know, be I think, but I think that means it's it's creating um, a healthy barrier for for creatives and artists to know that they they can't just create something for the sake of being seen or for the sake of receiving a compliment. Yeah, make it because it, you have to make it. Right. You know, if you, you, that should be as much of an inspiration and motivation as it, as it can be for anyone that makes things. Right, right, you absolutely. Make it, yeah, so. You said music for music's sake, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. as much as cool. There's more people listening to the band than before. That's just cherry on the top at this point. Because yeah. if I actually put in any emotional value into where that comes from, then I'm just, I'm going to be pissed off all the time. I'm not going to be happy with anything because, it, yeah, I'm not that person. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, we're not that famous, which, yeah. Not yet. No, don't I'm get my autograph. No, don't do that. Put that LP out. Put that vinyl out, brother. That's right. Maybe one day. Hey. I'd, I'd love to do vinyl. Yo, that would be awesome, Chris. I'd love. I'd love to do. I'd love to do vinyl for at least maybe Ikigai. Actually, there was a chance we almost did it, which we're still waiting to hear back about that one. But really, yeah, there's a chance. We'll okay, just, we'll have to just see. <laughs> would you ever want to be on an independent label? I. In so much as if I treated it like a partnership. Yeah. I think because in my mind, if. I guess is everything I've said so far, which is I, I am autonomous. I want to have as much freedom with what I do. And Lowfield stands for that. The goal of just creation for creativity's sake. Um, I would only see a label relationship as, you know, I want more. I want to increase my listenership. I want to see other things created as a result that I couldn't do on my own. If I could find a relationship and a group that'd be willing to do that, sign me right up. I'd love that. Absolutely. But so far, it seems like labels are still, for the most part, not going to make a generalization, but usually it's still kind of a contractual, you know, how are you going to create Making this money. extra money? Yeah. And if it's that, I'm good. I really have no value and no need for something like that because Lowfield is not, you know, I'm not attempting to be the net, like, you know, for example, for listeners that enjoy post rock, I'm not wanting to be Caspian. 
I'm not wanting to be explosions in the sky. Yeah. I don't want to be Russian circles. Right. One, because I never will be, and no one can be. But second, but because... <laughs> Very point, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no one. No one can do that. But more importantly, it's because I'm making these things with the intention of, I just want to make them. Yes. And if that happens to turn into something bigger, that's really cool. But I'm not going to draw the reasons behind I make this stuff because of the desire for success. If right. that makes sense. Right. I'm not going to like be angry if more people listen to my music. Oh, no. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not what I want. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. I'm, I might, we, we, you might have to um, talk after this. I have another I have a project coming up that might be uh, of interest mm-hmm. in, that, in, that, in that realm. I haven't, I haven't released it to the public yet, but it's coming very soon. Uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely, definitely want to know about that. Um, but how has, and we'll, we're almost close to wrapping this up, but um, how has your, I guess, have you progressed as a music songwriter mm-hmm. through these different albums? How has it gotten better, do you think? Yeah. I I like to think... Hmm, what's a nice way to put it? Because <laughs> I, I want to be nice to myself, but I want to be honest. High Wraith was just an attempt to see if I could do it. Yeah. If I could even write a collection of songs that I wasn't like immediately grossed out by mm-hmm. and and I treated songs like I'll be honest I'll I'll pull the cover back High Wraith is every song is genre wise different it has a very different tonal like timbre to it you know I mean there's practically metal to Minecraft covered in terms of music yes um, but in reality the song writing the structure of them is all almost the exact same right it's an introduction there's an A section and a B section and an A section and a B section and an outro. Yes. That's ultimately it. I mean, that's all High Wraith is, is every song is that progression. Because as a songwriter, I really didn't know what else to do. I just, I, I'm sure I could have thought of different things, but ultimately that's just how I went about it. Ikigai was, if we're going to consider the evolution, not just as a concept album of being, you know, songs related to one another and with a distinct purpose, I also moved away from the AB structure and really tried to create kind of more freedom and more fluidity with how mm. the songs are structured. And I really, I realized, ironically, I was being more focused on chord progressions and just overall background noise. And my melodic focus was almost non-existent on High Wraith. Right. Like, if you, I mean, even as someone that I wrote the music, I can hardly remember most of the melodies from High Rain. <laughs> and that's not good. That's not great. Um, whereas Ikigai, I was way more focused on melody and I wanted to write things that immediately got stuck in my head and, you know, kind of the earworm effect of writing that music. So that's where you hear more tapping, that's where you hear yes. more. Um, focus on more, I won't call it overproduced, but just production tricks and things that just create more interest for the listener. And so I really try to push not just the songwriting, but the production value and really kind of marry those two together. And then as long as we're dreaming, if we're talking about getting better per se, it was more of a, a culmination of those last two projects a natural um, kind of merging of all those sounds and ideas. So the freedom and the absolute lack of just restraint of high wraith and doing whatever I want and be as self, you know, uh, indulgent as I wanted, but also have the concept and all of the very meticulously thought out plans of Ikigai Mm. kind of married together. Yes. Because if you took away 
you know, everything I've said to help explain the album to the listener and you just listen to it, you would kind of feel genre whiplash just as much. Because I mean, all over. I mean, because I mean, when I when I had a website, a German website, randomly wrote a review on sleep, 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 and they're like, "This sounds like bad, bad, not good." And like, for all you jazz heads, go check out the album. And I went, "They are going to be so, so disappointed, disappointed when they listen to the rest because it's not that." I mean, there's moments where there's that kind of stuff, you know, but drum hits, you know. Sure, I mean the drumming like rudiment yeah. stuff. Sure, but then the very next song just day is like this like open kind of explorative just kind of it's it's such a different sound yeah there's complete there's a complete lack of you know control over you know most people when they write an album they want to kind of create a sonic um palette of like six or seven instruments that all kind of sound the same together and then they Make, which is a perfectly reasonable way to make an album. That's actually pretty rational and normal to make an album. Whereas for me, I just said, what sounds the most like what I'm trying to create? Okay, mm-hmm. that's the album. Yeah. And for better or worse, I'm going to have to figure out how to make it all work. Right. And so paying attention to having different sounds and different key transitions, because this album wasn't all in the same key, so... And that didn't stop me from trying to create transitions that modulated the key and kind of got funky with it. You know, if we're talking about things that make it better, you know, the real goal was how can I still create these spaces with a lack of restraint, but then still completely have like total control, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's kind of weird, but yeah, I mean, how how can I create these things and still feel like it was natural and authentic but also, there were parts where I just had no clue what I was doing. It just sounded cool. Right. I just kept it going. <laughs> right. See, I love that. I love what you said earlier. It was like, everything is there for a reason. Every sound you hear is there for a reason. But you were loose with it. I wasn't going to restrict myself. Right, say, exactly. I has to be this or else. Right. Because if I did that, then probably, God, a third of the album wouldn't exist. <laughs> because <laughs> exactly. if I had been like, it needs to sound like this, well, then most of it wouldn't have existed in that sense. Because it doesn't fit that. Right. But I think, well, it's still fun. I still like it. Yeah. It, so it stays. And that's the best part about a one-man band. I just have band meetings whenever I want and just decide things. And there's no one to stop me. Absolutely, <laughs> there's man. There's no one to stop me from doing that. Dude, so, heck yes. That's yeah. awesome. Is it, was it weird? Uh, obviously, you wrote that stuff for agents. Like, mm-hmm. kind of almost just post-rock genre. Was it weird? Sure, kind of cinematic. Kind of, was it weird writing for both kind of the same time? No, because, I mean... If anything, Agents was a really nice return to a form of the kind of music that I love listening to. When you talk about post-rock in the more typical sense, the cinematic, ambient, Mm. just kind of like shoegaze stuff. I mean, I love all that. And so I realized writing for Agents, I was like, man, I forgot how fun and freeing it was to write in this kind of sense because limitations breed creativity. Mm -hmm. Like the, the bass parts and stuff I wrote as fast as I did was because it just... It already, because of the groundwork Andrew had put in, kind of demoing a guitar and drum sound, bass was such a natural just, I mean, I won't say afterthought, but in the sense of just like complete, I didn't even think about it. I wasn't trying to like, what progression am I going to play next? No, I just hit the red button and just started just jamming. Yeah. And then that's what became my bass parts for it. It wasn't like, all right, this section really needs to to kick it up a notch. I really need to do this. Like, no, it just was like, I like this. This sounds neat. How can I just shoehorn this in now? And that I think that's an important difference for me as a musician and songwriter is 
just getting out of my head as much as I can because I think most of the time that's where the cool stuff happens. Dude. You just stop thinking about it so freaking much and just do it. Just and do it. Have fun. Have yeah, exactly. It's the biggest thing. I think I'm I think I'm creating and cultivating that culture with people that I work with as a musician and a producer. I mean, uh, my friend Jay who plays bass and synth now for Companion. Mm-hmm. He has his own singer-songwriter stuff we did together in this room as well back when I when we first moved here. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the relatable EP was him and I. He just he played guitar and sang, and I wrote everything else. Right. And those songs originally weren't going to exist. He thought they weren't good. He thought they shouldn't have been made, and he thought they would be embarrassing to make, which is insane to me because there's such great songs on their own. With Regardless of whatever I did, that just helped maybe bring it more to light. But his just guitar playing and how he sings, incredible voice. I was like, I love you, and I respect you as a person, but you're wrong and we're going to make this work and we're going to just try it. You got to just at least try me. Yeah. I'm not saying we're going to release this the second we hit done, but you got to at least give it a shot. At least give it a shot. And he did. And we wrote that little three song EP in like three weeks and we tracked it, mixed it, everything in this room. And it was great. Is it once again, is it the highest polished product? Absolutely not. But is it bad? No, absolutely, absolutely not. not. I, want to, I want to hear that, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. really great. And I so the more people I work with, I'm really just trying to get in that habit of, you're good, man. Like, I, you, you just make something. Like, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm here to hit the record button, nothing more, nothing less. I can make it sound complicated, but I'm just here to just kind of give you as much freedom to do your thing. And if something is genuinely bad, or I would say, rephrase that, if in my mind, to my perception and how I appreciate stuff, it sounds bad, I'll tell you. Yeah, I'll let you know. But that shouldn't really even still stop you from making something. Exactly. I think exactly. John Mark McMillan, um, he's a great singer-songwriter. I have been struggling a little bit since I heard him say this. He actually made a little snippet video a while back that said he is stopped. To, a, to the best of his ability, he has stopped critiquing music. He doesn't wow. comment on music anymore. Really? Like if so, I mean, I'm sure in his mind, if someone was like in a personal conversation, he'd probably be like, yeah, I enjoyed it. But he, he explicitly said like, I do not want to commentate or critique another's music ever again. Honestly, I, was, I understand that because he goes, it's all great yeah. on everyone's merit is great. Like stop, you know, you can, yeah, you can quantify and you can create a reason why something may not be good to your taste or to your perception. But ultimately, if you're a creative and you want to focus on creating, crit- criticism should be the last thing in your book. Like mm-hmm. that, and I com- I was just, it seemed like one of those obvious things. But it is real where as a producer and writing my own music, I'm the worst about that. Like I can sit here and critique everything I do ever because I'm both creating and producing but what he's saying is the reality. Like, I have to get away from that. So I think if there's any mark of my goal or career as a musician I want to increase is just a lack of, or a, I want to create even more of a space for freedom to make things and people be proud of what they've done. As long as I know that we've all just simply put in effort. That's yeah. really my only metric for success at this point is if you just try, I'm happy with what you did. Dude, you know, I so, love that. That's yeah. a great point to end on right there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Make things. Keep making things. If you if you don't think you can make things, do it tomorrow. Yeah. Start creating things because you will surprise yourself. Because oh. yeah, if there's anything I'll end this on, it's 
anyone can create, anyone can make art. You yes. just have to put in the work. Like any other part of Got life, to. put in the work, and I'll see you in five years when you're doing great stuff. Oh, look at that. Just yes. saying. Yes. It's true. Yo, Adam just threw <laughs> some wisdom at you guys, and he's not wrong. I mean, looking at yourself five years ago, myself five it, years ago. It, it's real. I mean, I, I, and then my trash can is full of things five years ago, but that's the point is <laughs> yeah. it's full. Like I did things Yeah. and for every album of 10 to 12 songs that I might be super proud of that I want people to hear, there were 200 that you'll never hear. Exactly. And anyone that tells you differently is either from another planet or they're just unrelatable. They're and I'm and more, more power to them if they are, but yes. that's not the average person. Dude, so keep trying. Not. You can do it. Dude. This is so great. What song are we going to um, put in the outro? Yeah, so we'll put in the outro and maybe y'all make it. Okay, maybe um, I'll make it. I think, like I said before, that song is really kind of a a personal, I won't say anthem, but it's it's the kind of song that represents kind of looking at the face of adversity or something that you're struggling with and deciding I'm going to take it, you know, tackle it head on and deal with it and the sense of kind of... Uh, resolve that comes with it i think it's a good song to kind of represent that come with it hell yeah, yeah dude and we can find you all on the internet right yep anywhere you listen to music it's low field l-o-f-i-e-l-d um spotify apple music pandora wherever you listen to music you can find it thank dude. you and thanks again man for having me on it was, dude, a, it was a ton an, of fun it's an honor brother i'm happy we met we met by well i don't say it's by chance we met because we're supposed to meet you that's know right saying? we met we're, grand we're, scheme we're supposed to and i've done some photo work for you of in the studio and outside of it so that's right i'm grateful for you brother i'm with you man coming for the next five years we're gonna be a billboard charting artist no i think i think <laughs> i think the next thing five years from now i want to score a movie dude that's the next move I'm gonna cry. We, oh, got, we got to talk after this for sure. We got we got to talk. <laughs> right. You're 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 literally in the same on the same page as me. But yes, Sounds thank you for good. listening, everybody. Much love. Support Adam. Support Lowfield. Support local music. Support everyone in Winston and Greensboro and everywhere in the world. And start critiquing things too much. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Later. Thanks, dude.